Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. That was a huge, huge mistake. I'd, I'd vowed to myself, do not slag off Ulster. It's war. Um, you know, come on. You didn't even get thrown out to Australia. You got thrown to Ireland. <laughs> All of you are from Scottish descent. Um, Amen. Amen. <laughs> it is. It really, really is a privilege and a joy to be here. Um, you know, we are just across the water. But I, I do notice quite a lot of cultural differences in some things. Uh, we have a lot of uh, students from Northern Ireland come to uh, Dundee, and I spend a fair amount of my time coming over here to do weddings, um, which is great. We try and persuade as many as possible to stay and marry Scotsmen or Scotswomen, but uh, they seem an awful lot seem to want to come home. But uh, there is a lot of affinity, and I'm very grateful. I have had. Uh, an assistant, Brian Key, who was from here, is now training in Union uh, Theological Seminary, and he was great. He was with us for three years. I want to talk about Scotland uh, and Northern Ireland as mission fields, and that may seem, in some ways, uh, quite difficult. It's, it's very interesting coming here. I kind of think you're kind of halfway between Scotland, where we are now, and the southern U.S., that you have a lot of churches and a lot of people who go to church, and that can breed a sense of complacency. But I would suggest the simple way for you to avoid that complacency is to look around here and consider the demographic. Look around your church. There are some churches that have lots of young people and children in Sunday school and so on. But there are an awful lot that... Uh, that demographic, those younger people are disappearing. And you will probably be in your grave before you see your church close. But the churches need to be growing and reproducing and reaching out to people and not as happened to us in Scotland, ghettoizing and finding ourselves um, secularizing. In my view, Scotland has become the most secular, uh, secularized country within the space of 10 years that we have seen. I'll give you a couple of examples. Church of Scotland had an official membership in the 1950s of 1.2 million. It's now below 200,000. In reality, in terms of attendance, it's about 125,000 people attending. So you're talking about around 2% of people attending what was once the main national church. You're talking about in my city of Dundee, every year that I've been there, and this is not my fault, uh, every year I've been there, I've been there 22 years, a church has closed. You're talking about a small city, that happening, 150,000 people, churches close every year. When I began my ministry uh, about 27 years ago, if we wanted to get back to that situation that we had then in Scotland with what we have now, we would need to plant 7,000 churches of 100 people each now, instantly. 7,000 of 100 people each. 
So it is a, a, what's happened to us has been phenomenal, and it's happened, in my view, in less than a generation. And I'm, I'm not a prophet, but I do want to say this. I see exactly the same signs in Northern Ireland, and uh, I, I think you, you have to be awake to this now. Don't come awake to it when there's three or four of you left in a church building and you're closing uh, buildings and congregations all over the place. So let's look at how this is happening and let's think about, I want to think about some of the work that we're trying to do in terms of communicating the gospel and reversing that. And I think there's a PowerPoint there. Yep, that's it. Let's see if I can get these things to work. Do I point it somewhere? Yeah, that's it. The times they are changing. Well, some of you will recognize that song. I'm too young for this, but uh, Bob Dylan uh, wrote this, and I love the song. Come gather around people wherever you roam, amid the waters around you have grown. Except you move soon, you'll be drenched to the bone, for the times they are changing. Well, there's a lot of things that are changed in British society, and I think in European society, but let's just focus on British, and particularly let's focus on Scotland and Northern Ireland. Mention some of the things up there. Materialism. People are much wealthier overall, and materialism drives people away from the church overall. It's one of the biggest causes of backsliding. Now, I'm not, I don't have time to go into all of that, but I'd certainly be prepared to argue that. It's not that people become more educated and more intelligent and less likely to believe in God. It's they become more self-sufficient and think, what do I need God for? My mother-in-law grew up in a culture in the islands of Scotland that in the 1930s, every day they prayed they would get food because they didn't know at some point whether they would get food or not. Now, people, we, we don't pray that. What are we stressed out about in terms of material things? You know, I know people who get very, very, very upset that they've just... Uh, gone and bought an iPhone 4, and the iPhone 5 has come out. And that's what bothers people, what people are working for. I, I remember doing a wedding here in Northern Ireland, and someone came up to me and spoke to me at the wedding, and they thought I would be impressed. They boasted about their portfolio in terms of houses. They just bought six, three in Southern Ireland, one in Spain, two in Northern Ireland. It's a false bubble. Their life is is now ruined because their houses in Southern Ireland and Spain are worth nothing. But materialism has been a real curse. The sexual revolution in the 1960s, that has changed things phenomenally in many different ways. It is now being used in our culture to condemn the church. I go and speak to lots of atheist groups, and I speak in cafes and different things, and supposing I'm speaking about, you know, science or God and philosophy or something, or the price of tea in China, doesn't matter, I always get asked, what do you think about homosexuality? Why? Are these people who are really concerned because they've got homosexual friends or because they are homosexual and so on? No, it's because it's become the shibboleth test of our culture. You're finished. You have politicians in Northern Ireland who are, belong to Bible-believing evangelical churches and who will in theory hold to the Bible, but in public they say, I can't say that, I can't do that. Why? Because that's the test in our culture and in our society, and there's a, a whole lot more that goes on in there. There's the dumbing down of society as well. People think we're becoming more intelligent. I don't think so. In Scotland, the land of John Knox, who said, where you have a church, you have a school, 
We now have one in five teenagers who are functionally illiterate. 20%. Our education system, which used to be the envy of the world, has declined rapidly. There's still good schools and there's still a lot of things to be thankful for. But again, my view is once you take away the Christian roots of society, eventually you will lose the Christian fruits. Technological. Our culture is changing in lots and lots of technological ways now, and we need to think about what that means in terms of reaching out to people and how people think and so on. I'm told that, oh, people can't listen for more than five minutes or more than ten minutes. Well, they're in trouble (laughs) if they come to uh, our church. Uh, I remember one man came, I buried his mother. He hadn't been in church uh, ever, I don't think, and he came in. And uh, typical Dundonian working class family came in, the whole extended family. We had pews in those days. They filled up three pews, which basically doubled my congregation. And I looked out and I went, oh my goodness, I'm preaching on Job. And it's like death, death, and mega death. I just thought, I am in so much trouble. So anyway, I preached it anyway. And uh, going out the door, the man looked at me and he said, my goodness, he said, you did that deliberately, didn't you? I said, what do you mean? He said, I have never heard anyone speak for more than five minutes in my life. You took 40 minutes. You gave us a whole year's worth of sermons in one go just because we don't come to church. (laughs) And I said, no, I'm sorry. I do that all the time. And he looked at me and I said, how did you find it? He said, it was really interesting. I didn't realize there was all that much in the Bible. I said, that's only one chapter. I've got hundreds more. (laughs) Will you be back? (laughs) No. Sorry, it's not one of those great conversion stories, but I, I've, I've kept in touch with him and with his family. I married his daughter. Um, there's just all these relationships that go on. But technology is changing the way that people think and how they do things, and, and that's important, and also on how we reach out to people. And again, I'd love to say a lot more about that, but I do think all, nearly all my congregation, the quickest way for me to get hold of them is Facebook. Um, which just seems totally bizarre and weird. Uh, we probably had more people come to church because of the internet now than almost any other thing apart from being invited by a friend, which still remains the number one. There are enormous political changes as well. I'm not being cynical. I used to be involved in politics. I think virtually all political parties, apart from the weird and nutty ones, are, um, and I'm not going to say which ones they are, in case you, any of you belong to them, but uh, they are most political parties anyway, are very, very similar. Try finding the real differences. You know, I grew up in a generation where people like Tony Benn and Enoch Powell, Margaret Thatcher and so on, argued back and forth, very different points of view, thinking, ideology. Now our politicians are in general so bland and they they all going the same route. In Scotland, for example, on the same-sex marriage debate, all our political leaders said the same thing. Five years ago, none of them believed in it. Now they all believe it. It's obvious. Why? Because they're being operated on by spin doctors and elites, and the, the whole concept of democracy is an enormous danger in our country. Um, some people say we're progressing. They ask, are you progressive? In my view, we are not progressing. We are regressing, and we are regressing to a Greco-Roman pagan view of the world. And I know Christians who look at this and go, this is terrible, this is terrible, this is terrible. I look and I say, where did the New Testament church flourish? 
in a Greco-Roman pagan world. Why can't we do the same? And if, I have to, if, if one thing I want people to get hold of tonight is this, Christendom has gone. You cannot defend Christian Ulster or Christian Scotland or Christian Ireland, Christian Britain. There are remnants of it. There are civic religion that remain. There are churches. There are so many wonderful things to be thankful of. But at its heart and at its core, it's gone. And if you try and defend it, you'll be missing out on something. Now is not the time for us to be defending something that is dead and dying. Now is the time for us to be claiming the gospel to a dead and dying world. That is the... I want Christians to be involved in politics and and economics and media and so on, but I don't want Christians to be involved in politics thinking we're going to reign, we're going to rule. We're not going to reign, we're not going to rule, at least until um, glory, but we do have a fantastic opportunity to communicate the gospel in what is a broken world and in a society which has overall largely rejected Jesus Christ. So, What is the solution? Well, people say, just preach the gospel. Well, what does that mean? This is from Gresham Machen's Christianity and Liberalism, a wonderful book. False ideas are the greatest obstacles to the reception of the gospel. We may preach with all the fervor of a reformer and yet succeed only in winning a straggler here and there if we permit the whole collective thought of the nation or of the world to be controlled by ideas which by the resistless force of logic, prevent Christianity from being regarded as anything more than a harmless delusion. Under such circumstances, what God desires us to do is to destroy the obstacle at its root. How do you preach the gospel, the good news, to people who don't recognize there's bad news? How do you preach the gospel to people who don't recognize there's a heaven and a hell? How do you preach the gospel to the young guys who, as we walk down to the church here, walk past and mocked what they perceive to be largely a group of older people going into a dying institution? How do you preach the gospel to them? You do not do it by holding a tent meeting that you used to hold in the 1950s. You do not do it by presupposing that the people you're speaking to know the Bible, because they were taught it in Sunday school or in school. You do not do it by presupposing that when you use the word God and the word Jesus, they know what you mean. When someone says to me, David, I don't believe in God, I say, really? Tell me about this God you don't believe in. Uh, I don't believe in a God who does this, and I don't believe in a God who does that, and I don't believe in... That's amazing. I don't believe in that God either. Now, let me tell you about the God I do believe in. But the trouble is, if you're not aware of that you immediately start defending God. They hear you defending the God they don't believe in and you don't believe in either. You see the problem that there is because the fundamental roots in terms of the way that people think has been drastically changed. Let me tell you this. I know in Northern Ireland just now, and I'm not obsessed by this, but I'm I'm due to appear before the Scottish Parliament in two weeks' time to answer questions on this, but on the question of same-sex marriage, I guarantee you if you did a poll of people in your church you will find that older people overall, and most people over 40 would say, they considered homosexuality, same-sex marriage to be wrong. You will find that younger people will be a lot more, inverted commas, tolerant. Why? Because although they know that somehow it's wrong, and yet they also know that somehow it's because of what's been coming across in the media and in the education, the way that people think. And what Gresham Machen is saying is we have to deal with that. And that makes it very, very hard for us to communicate the gospel. So, 
let me tell you a little bit about what we're trying to do. Now, solace is a Gallic word for, uh, means light, and it arose out of uh, a personal response that I had to the new atheism, uh, involving in particular Richard Dawkins. Uh, I ended up writing this book called The Dawkins Letters. Uh, bizarrely, it became a bestseller, and I got the opportunity to go to cafes, restaurants, universities, pubs, uh, and basically to talk about Jesus. And it was for me just a wonderful, wonderful thing to be able to do. The Da Vinci Code was another aspect of that that came in, and I, I won't go into that just now, but one day I went into my church, and there was a man came in called Gordon Wilson. And uh, I recognized him, partly because he was 10 minutes early, and nobody in my church comes 10 minutes early, <laughs> and he was on his own with his wife, uh, and I recognized him, and he, he was uh, the leader of the Scottish Nationalist Party. And I said, Mr. Wilson, nice to see you. What are you doing here? And he said, David, I read your book, couldn't get to any of the book events, just thought I'd come and see. Well, to cut a long story short, uh, he's been with us ever since, and his wife. They're now both members in the church. And he came to me one day, and he said, David, I've got something to tell you. I said, what's that? He said, you, he said, I've been longing for a Scottish government for years. We never thought we'd get it in our lifetime. Now we've got it. But he said, you have got something that is far more important than that, and you're rubbish at getting it out. Not you personally, but the church. And he said, David, you have to stop running around like a headless chicken. You need to start training people and getting people to communicate the gospel. And he said, let the mountain come to Muhammad. I said, Gordon, your theology is not quite all that great yet, but um, there's a few things to talk about. But it was a good thing. And, and we set up Solas to train people, to try and reach out, to um, engage with the media and so on. Now, you'll see the bottom question there, where can I find Jesus? This is the kind of passion that, that comes from me. And I, I wanted to tell you this. Um, there was one of these dreadful reality TV shows, and it involved a kid from Derby, a 17-year-old guy, um, sexually promiscuous, homosexual and heterosexual, uh, another girl who was with him. They did a parent swap, or um, a home swap anyway. They went to Atlanta, and it's one of, you know, they filmed the, I think it was the BBC, filmed this, uh, going to stay with an African-American Baptist couple who were both pastors in a quite a strict church, you know, and uh, I watched this program with absolute horror, knowing I shouldn't be watching this, I shouldn't be watching this, but it was so fascinating. It was a train wreck waiting to happen, and it did happen, and the kid wanted to smoke, and he wanted to swear, and he wanted... Anyway, they get through the whole program, and at the end, he's been driven back to the airport, and he's being onto camera, and he's being interviewed, and he says, do you know this? these people are all right, eh? They're all right. And he says, they're really into this Jesus guy. They're really into Jesus. And then he kind of looked up and he said, see if I go back, when I go back to England, where will I find Jesus? Is he in the yellow pages? And I, I've never, I can't forget that. I was editing a magazine at the time and I got a designer to do the yellow pages and do a, a, I did an article on where can I find Jesus? Where will your neighbor find Jesus? Where will the kids in the schools find Jesus? 
Where will the junkies on the streets find Jesus? Where will the political asylum seekers find Jesus? Where will the terrorists find Jesus? Where will the people who are writing find Jesus? I hope you could say he'll, they'll find him in our churches. I'm not sometimes too sure. But how will they find if they never come in? That's what's got to drive us, and that's what's got to motivate us. I believe strongly that we need church-based persuasive evangelism. Why? Our evangelism is stage one, not stage five evangelism. This is a, a similarity with our previous speaker talking about difficult countries to reach. If you imagine a scale from zero to ten, zero is where people know nothing. They don't know there's a Bible. They don't know there's a God. They know nothing. And ten is where they can repeat the whole Bible backwards in Serbo-Croat, uh, or they can, you know, they can, you know, they think John Calvin and Martin Luther are theological lightweights. I mean, they're people who kind of pray 25 hours a day and, and you know, do mission work and everything else. I mean, they just know everything. And they're... Most of our evangelism has been done on that scale about level five. You invite people to meetings who are inclined to go. They're curious. They want to find out more. But most of the people in our society that we need to reach are actually in the zero, one, two arena. And it takes a lot longer to communicate the gospel with people like that. A lot, lot longer. There are what Tim Keller calls defeater beliefs. These are the beliefs that stop people even considering. Most people don't mind that you go to church. That's sweet and that's nice and that's great. It's a bit like belonging to the knitting club or being a Trekkie, you know, the, or, or, you know, you speak Klingon, fine. We don't care. You go to church, fine. We don't care. Just leave us alone. They have a bunch of defeater beliefs that stop them even considering. God and science are opposed. If there was a God of love, how can there be suffering? Uh, Christians always disagree amongst themselves. All faiths are basically the same. People who are religious fly planes into buildings. All that kind of stuff. And they won't even consider the claims of the gospel because psychologically, they've not thought this through because psychologically they really struggle. So we've got to deal with that. Our faith is reasonable. Please don't, as a Christian, say, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. That's part of a reason. But that's not how you know he lives. You know he lives because the Bible says so. What if your heart tells you he doesn't live? Does that mean he doesn't live? No. We have a reasonable faith. It involves our emotions, but it is reasonable. In the whole marketplace of ideas that's out there, I'm sorry to speak about the gospel in this way, but we have absolutely the best product to give people. We don't need to hide away. We just need to say, listen, we've got this most amazing news that fits exactly your situation. So we argue for total apologetics. My chairman uh, doesn't allow me to use this anymore. We call it the whole gospel to the whole person by the whole church. It takes a whole church to communicate the gospel to people. Now, our strapline for Scotland, I'm not going to know, say, I don't know if this is true for Northern Ireland, but our strapline for Scotland is this, that in my experience, society is more open to the gospel than it's been over the past 25 years, but the church is less prepared to communicate it. And let me tell you this, that being here and listening to wonderful stories about mission work all over the world, which is absolutely essential to any healthy church, it's pointless if you as a church are not mission-minded in your very being. If you are thinking, this is how we maintain our church, 
Forget it. Forget about maintaining your church. Jesus didn't come to maintain the temple. He didn't come to maintain the nation state of Israel. He didn't come to maintain. He came to bring good news to the world. And we have to be prepared to let our churches die rather than give up on that mission. Our goals, we want to help bring the gospel to every community in Europe. I mean, everyone has these kind of things. We want to stimulate, provoke, and encourage God's people to be evangelists. We want to interact with the secular media so that the gospel is regularly proclaimed through them. We want a new reformation in Europe. I've discovered something about the secular media. Whereas a decade ago, many journalists and people I knew were quite hostile to the gospel, and some still are, now most are not hostile, they're ignorant of the gospel. And in working with journalists and getting to know them, it's really been uh, quite amazing. And the opportunities that we get to communicate the gospel, I've been asked to write columns in the Scotsman newspaper, I've been on the BBC, and boy, they are tough, the BBC. I was asked to do a thought for the day on BBC Scotland, and they wouldn't let me do it because I used the phrase, Britain's Christian traditions. They said, you can't use that in case it offends people. I said, what? You want me to talk for a minute without offending a quarter of a million people? I can't talk for 30 seconds without offending two. That's impossible. But you can't say that. It will be offensive. It indicates something of where it's at. But in general, I found that the media are much more open than we might think. We have 10 target areas of engagement. Um, I'm just going to flick through them. You can find out. I've got some leaflets. You can ask me at the end or basically go onto our website. Uh, we think, this is what we're trying to say, you've got to be involved in society as such. As a church. We've got to care about what's going on throughout the world. What's going on in Egypt? What's going on in Iraq? What's going on in your neighborhood? What's going on throughout this country? To pray at least. Science We've got to interact with science. We've got to think how science points us to God, not away from God. We've got to encourage Christians who are involved in science. And please, please, please stop this myth that Christianity and science are opposed. They're not. We are opposed to scientism, the belief that the material is all there is. We're not opposed to science. Without Christianity, without monotheism at least, you would not have modern science. And we need to encourage people in our churches to be involved in science. Cafe. Uh, We've just published a book on uh, doing cafe evangelism. I love this. I mean, coffee shops are absolutely everywhere. And they're great places to meet people and great places to talk about the gospel and great places to do events. And we train people and encourage people in doing that. Um, We talk about art and music and so on. Uh, Atheists ain't got no songs. Uh, Please... There's, uh, there's some uh, amazing, uh, beautiful music, and music is just an apologetic of beauty, as is art. Uh, I give a lecture sometimes from Mozart to Metallica. Um, if you don't know who Metallica are, don't worry, but they're good. Uh, uh, art. Can artists be atheists? You look at the tremendous artistic heritage. We need to be encouraging artists in our churches and looking at how we use art to communicate the gospel. Medicine. There's so many medics. In fact, uh, next week I'll be going up to people. It begins Freshers' Week, and I'll be seeing a young person. I'll say, let me guess. 
you're a student, you're from Northern Ireland, and you're a medic, and about 50% of the time I'll be right. But there's great opportunities in medicine, in, in, and not just talking about euthanasia and abortion, but looking at a Christian ethic of caring for the sick. History. Every part of Britain, every part of Northern Ireland, every part of Scotland has some history which involves Christianity. And some of it is bad, but an awful lot of it is tremendously good. And there's real opportunities in history. Media. Uh, again, we want to encourage people to be involved in the media and to have high-quality media. Uh, we want to encourage philosophy. Uh, Greeks to Goths, as we say, we are what we think. To encourage people to think, to have renewed minds and renewed hearts. And we want to encourage churches to be deliberately and specifically and overtly gospel churches that are seeking to reach out, not to fill the pews, but because that we love the people. Now, I tell you this. It is astonishing. I have seen people weep and I have seen people shout with anger because a communion table has been moved or because a new church has moved into their area. I have rarely seen people burst into tears because as they went on the bus home, they looked at people and they saw them as lost souls without a shepherd, without a savior on their way to hell. Bertrand Russell said, of all the forms of Christianity, the one that makes most sense is biblical evangelical Christianity, but I wouldn't believe it because I don't think anyone else does because I would crawl to tell people if I believed it to be true. See, your friends think you go to church because it's your tradition, because it's a hobby, because there's nice things to do, because you're boring, because you've got nothing else to do, because you've got a sad life, because you're weak. Lots of different reasons. I doubt very few of them think you go to church because you love Jesus and what a difference that has made. How we communicate that is difficult, but we need that. What now? In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Do you know what that means? It means that people are going to ask. And it means that you have to think and you have to be prepared to give a reason. And sometimes you won't know the answer to the questions that people ask, but you'll say, I know a man who does. Or in our church, there's this person here. Or I've got this book. Or, or lots and lots of different things. But if you're really going to put, set apart Christ as Lord, it involves a lot more than standing and singing, He is Lord. It means using your mind and your body and your home and everything that you have to communicate the lordship of Jesus Christ. It was Kuiper, I think, who said, there is not one single square inch of earth over which Jesus does not say, it's mine. It's his. And I don't care where you are, in what background, what culture, Jesus is Lord. He's not Lord because you make him Lord. He's not Lord because you lift him higher. He is Lord. And you have to revere and honor him and pray that God opens doors to communicate that. We run a conference. You're very welcome to come. I mean, Dundee's a great place to come. We used to fly from Belfast. Not anymore. You have to go through Glasgow, but you can survive. Or Edinburgh. Uh, come. We run a, a thing called Out of the Silent Church. Uh, you're very welcome. If you're interested in training a little bit more in what we call persuasive evangelism, we run a week around that conference where people come and stay and we can sponsor people, just again go to our website and have a look. We've got a book coming out from several of us answering Bertrand Russell's famous set of uh, essays entitled Why I'm Not a Christian. 
we have got, I've got why I am not an atheist. Please take it, give it to people. Um, I have, you know, one of the strangest things, and you may be able to correct me on this, when I talk to people, they'll say things like, okay, David, maybe you can destroy atheism, but what do you believe? And I say, I believe. And I say, why do you believe it? I say, because of Jesus. And then they go, who's Jesus? How do you tell people who Jesus is? The stained glass guy? The Jesus walking around the Sunday school books with the long robes, the kaftan, the sandals, and the hippie look? Which Jesus are we talking about? Your own personal Jesus is Depeche Mode, Johnny Cash, and others sang? No. We're talking about the great and glorious Jesus of Revelation, the humble and meek Jesus of the Gospels. How do we communicate that? And I, I was really struggling, so I got really fed up, and after doing the Dawkins letters, I just, I, um, I just wrote a book, a, a, a series of 10 letters again, to your typical postmodern 20 to 40-something explaining who Jesus is, and um, please pray for that, because I wrote it uh, to give the gospel to people. You can find, again, more information on the Solas website. Give me Scotland or I die was John Knox's cry. What's our cry? Give me a few more people in our church. Well, we're awful upset that things are not going so well in, in Northern Ireland or in Scotland. What does this have to do with world mission? I'll tell you this. When a church starts saying there's home mission and there's world mission and regarding them as different, they don't understand what mission is. They don't. When we went to Dundee, went to McShane's church, there were seven people. I've told some of you this before, that uh, when I went, there were seven. Four of them left. It's what D. James Kennedy calls a Scottish revival. Uh, and... But God has built up the church bit by bit. But right from the beginning, God placed it on us that as a congregation, we would always pray for international mission. Though there was a handful of us. First person I baptized was a Japanese girl. If you're going to reach out to people in your culture, you'll be reaching out to people ultimately from all over the world. I think in my own congregation just recently, French, Finnish, Swedish, German, Chinese, Iranian, Saudi, Pakistani, Spanish, African, Dutch... Norwegian, even Northern Irish. And I'm talking Northern Irish people who left Northern Ireland and thought, I'm away from the church. And God has worked and they've been converted and they may come back here and be used to evangelize in a culture which they themselves had rejected. If you have a heart for mission, then that mission will be all over the world. I often meet people who live in the 19th century, the 18th. Oh, what a wonderful thing God did. What a great thing God did under McShane. What a great thing God did under W.P. Nicholson. But I just as often meet Christians who say, isn't it wonderful what God is doing in China? Isn't it wonderful what God is doing in Africa? Isn't it wonderful what God is doing in South America? They don't believe that God can do it here. How do I know that? By their actions. They believe that God can save people all over the world except where they are. If that's the case, you don't understand what mission is, and you don't know the heart of Jesus Christ. You need to stand on your street corner and weep at the teenagers who hang around and know nothing about Jesus, as well as for your own family, as well as for people at your work. If you care, I have no doubt at all that God will use you to reach people. I'm, I'm done in terms of time, but I didn't want to just leave it with that. People say, why do you bother? Why do you do all this arguing and discussing and sharing and trying to communicate? 
This is why. This is a man who's now a friend of mine called Richard Morgan. He was a musician, an atheist, who was on the Dawkins website, and when I was on it, he wrote a piece of music against me called The Wee Flea. I, 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 said, uh, I was so honored to have a piece of music written about me. It was a classical piece as well. It was fantastic. I've got it on my iPhone. It's just great. How many of you got a classical piece of music written about you? No, I win. Yeah, it's great. But partly through that piece of music, he was converted. I'll keep the story short. You can read about it. We've actually, it's, it's actually in the book. We put it in as an additional chapter because it was after the book was written. But he was converted through this. I asked him, why don't you believe in God and what could make you believe in God? This is what Richard says. My knee-jerk reaction to the first question was, that's a dumb question. And to the second, I had two instinctive and spontaneous answers. One, I don't know. Two, certainly not proof and evidence. At that moment, the words that I had learned many years previously and that had always provoked a terrible sensation of longing in me came into my mind. We can love him because he first loved us. And my universe exploded. Lights came on, prison doors opened, and scales fell off my eyes. The whole amazing grace thing. As I considered my perception of life, this is my favorite description of becoming a Christian. As I considered my perception of life, the universe and everything, it was literally as if I'd been looking at a two-dimensional image in black and white, and in an instant, everything became three-dimensional and technicolor. A short time later, I went back to my David Robertson documents, which I'd printed out, and I was amazed to discover that the words that almost leapt out at me from the pages were the biblical references that had so embarrassed me before. Not David Robertson's words, the Word of God. The Bible that I had previously studied so much that I couldn't read and, and, and it came to pass without having a migraine became exciting, meaningful. Today, I feel no resentment towards my Richard Dawkins.net correspondence. After all, it was among the atheists that I found salvation. Love that. An insistent, obtuse Scottish clergyman kept coming back for more, not only defending his arguments, but boldly confronting atheists with the word of God. A voice crying in the wilderness? Perhaps. But even in the wilderness, perhaps somebody is hiding behind a rock, listening as I was. For the word of God is living and full of power. And then please take these words. I think uh, for an atheist who is converted to be writing this is wonderful. It is so good to be loved without having done anything to deserve it. If you are, by the way, are presenting a Christianity which says if you do this, 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 and this, Jesus will love you, you are presenting a false gospel as much as if you're saying Jesus is not the Son of God. It is so good to be able to be loved without having done anything to deserve it. It is so good to raise my eyes from the science laboratories and the books of philosophy and start to behold the glory of God. Science and philosophy are wonderful manifestations of the enormous capacities of the human mind, but the word of God is truth, and truth is what it took to set me free. My journey in faith begins. Watch this space. Richard now, instead of writing classical music and wee songs against people like me, is now in the south of France, part of a church there, and he's writing praise songs. That's what God can do. You'd better believe it for the people around you, and all of us have a responsibility to communicate that. Thank you for your patience. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org donate.